Hello, my friends. Welcome back. What a week this has been. My name is Chad. This is the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is where we give language to all the conversations leaders are having but aren't normally talking about. This week, I have Dan and Adrian on with me, and we're talking about how to communicate with your teams in times of crisis, specifically in this time of crisis. What do you tell them? What do you not tell them? How do you talk to them? How do we keep morale and production up while making sure we take care of our people? All of this coming at you in this conversation. Here we go. Welcome back to the conversation, everybody. The Naked Leadership Podcast. Hello. Here with my friends, Adrian Kaler, Dan Takini. I'm back here alive. Good to be here. It's good to see both of you upright. That's a, not a very good joke at this moment. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> I've been saying that every day I get up since I was 10 years old. Oh, good, another day. I'm above ground. This is good. <laughs> well, we are. this is our second time doing one of our podcasts live on Facebook. I just wanted to mention that really quick. So if people are – we don't have a, a – a consistent schedule so it's kind of hard to catch us you kind of have to just watch i i post on my facebook feed when we're going to be going live with the next episode so if you're you know listening to this on podcast world and want to see it live you can join me friend me on facebook and join us there um otherwise let's get into the conversation we got a lot going on things are developing every week we're recording this um probably three weeks into the, um, the, the severe <laughs> impact of COVID-19 on the United States. Um, I think most of the country now is, well, I don't know about most, but a good portion of the, of the country is working remote, um, not going into offices, not being in groups. And, um, you know, we've, we have all been able to have a lot of conversations with our clients through um, uh, our company, Take New Ground, um, where we coach and consult leaders. And uh, so we're starting to get, we're starting to be able to get into a lot of conversations about this, see some patterns, uh, make some observations. And I think that this conversation is going to be uh, stemmed from a lot of those conversations that we're having with our clients. But um, at the forefront of this conversation, we're kind of uh, tentatively titling it how to communicate with your teams in times of crisis. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of teams. There's a lot of leadership teams who are needing to make um, some really tough decisions. Uh, and the way that we interact with the people that we're lead is is changing rapidly by the minute, by the day. And the conversations that are needed to ha- be had are becoming new <laughs> all the time. And so uh, we wanted to just create a resource of how to stay grounded in these communications, um, how to create a mindset that allows people into the process rather than you taking care of them, quote unquote, taking care of them. If you're not watching the video, you can't see my quotation marks in the air, but you know, taking care of these people. Um, and uh, well, let's, let's just dive in. Um, the first thing that I wanted to explore is like, what are some of the things that we're finding leaders up against at this time, as far as it goes with communicating, maybe some hardships, some hard times or a changing environment, all of that kind of stuff. 
The question is. <laughs> the question is what 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 struggles are we our leaders coming up against wow. in this time? So, co- companies are facing downsizing, budget cuts, furloughs. Um, yeah. We're seeing the struggle, and we're also getting a front row seat to some of the dysfunctional ways to handle this, and some of the functional ways. Given the goal or the yeah. aim, uh, what are we seeing? Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest things uh, is what to say and what not to say to your your team. I think that. I know as a leader, a lot of the guys I'm coaching are wrestling with how much do we talk about, how much of this do I open up? And, you know, if you're in a culture where transparency has been squelched because people are either self-critical and they can't, don't want to hear the feedback and tend to be defensive, so the message is don't give me feedback, this is what I want to hear, I think they're going to they're gonna experience far more of a sense of overwhelm or pressure than a culture that's transparent and open to what's being said. And how, I think the question is, okay, well now what, it feels overwhelmed, feels like overwhelmed because if I'm worried that if I say things I've never said before, well then I'm gonna have problems I never thought I, you know, I never had before. And that just adds to the the variables that are in play with the COVID-19 situation anyway. So I think it even, it exacerbates an already restricted or frustrated or constipated, if you will, culture where the things that need to be said don't get said except for in covert kind of kabuki theater ways. And you have to decipher it and it takes a long time. And so that way it takes a long time to get anything done. Now that's compounded with this situation. And there's a varying degrees that I, you know, just in listening to the different teams I work with, depending on the culture, I notice they're handling it distinctly. There's just distinct experiences of either excitement and creativity or resistance and fear and dread. You know, it's like there's a range of that going on. And so I just want to open that up. Yeah, what are some of the factors that's making that difference right now? Well, you know, I think ethically there's some ethics involved here. Right, which is the study of how to be together, of good and bad, and what makes life work together. In fact, the word ethos is the word that is the root word for ethics, which is the context, or if you will, your personal environment. And I think that's a huge deal, because the one thing we all can control is our own, who we are in the situation. And so how, how does one get at that? And if I'm looking out at Adrian, I think, well, I have to control Adrian. I, you know, so I'm going to tell him certain things. I'm not going to tell him certain things in order to maintain, manage the response from Adrian. That's a very oppressive way to live. I'm going to feel oppressed because that's a lot of weight to take on because I can't control Adrian. And and Adrian's going to feel suspicious because he's going to pick up the tentative, hesitant, communication, the omissions that are obvious, et cetera. So that builds that tension. So I think it's a big deal to, you know, that, that it, there's a range, depending on how open and transparent people are with each other, there's a range in there, right? I think the key, though, is creating an environment where you can be transparent and people are open to what's there so that the learning curve or the learning loop can go quicker, right? Because we need to move quickly. We need to be nimble. Otherwise, we're paying bigger prices down the line 
down to the bottom line, right? So it starts right up with us as individuals and yeah. catching ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think in times of, of what I've seen is like in times of crisis and even just before COVID in particular, which is, I think, a unique time of crisis because it's so invisible. Um, and it's outside the realm of the type of crisis we can typically engage or, we're, or that we practice in engaging because um, it's like this invisible thing out there. And um, I mean, the thought that comes to mind for me, the first idea is inspiration is not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. But that's that's where people I, th- I think that's where people go is wanting to inspire their people out of their fear. And that just doesn't work. I mean, you can inspire them into fantasy that and that'll work, but it's got a short half life. Right. It's like, hey, we're going to be OK. Like that's an inspiring thought that'll give them some relief in the moment. But they know that that's not true. Uh, and then they sit down and think about it and then they go, wait a minute, how are we going to be OK? Yeah, that's right. Um, what do you mean? You just blown smoke up <laughs> my dress here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and it'll flush up any kind of um, distrust or lack of trust that they already have for you. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So a good question might be, what's the path to inspiration? Like, you know, yes. it's pretty paradoxical. You know, in, in our experience, I mean, at least my experience, I know you too, Adrian, we've seen this. It's very paradoxical yeah. because... Yeah. You want to inspire, and you don't. In, the last thing you want to do is talk about the things that people are anxious about. Naturally, yeah. That just naturally where we go. We go. Okay, we want to inspire, so stay away from. You yeah. know, are we going to work together when are we come back to work? Are we going to get paid? You know, uh, is, is, are our benefits going to continue? All the different conversations that we don't want to have because it could bring up more tension and take away from inspiration, then people may not work as well, right? So that's whole Machiavellian kind of tension in there. Hey, no but attention the man behind the curtain. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I love that scene. Get away, little dog, get away. <laughs> um, the, uh, but really, my point is, what if it was the other way around, that, that inspiration comes out of going through the most anxious situations or going into the very conversations we least want to have and having them first and knowing how to have them. I think part of the fear is, well, how do you have a conversation like that? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the problem with asking how is, are you asking how because you want to be effective in the conversation or are you asking how because you want to reduce your own discomfort? Like, am I going to have this conversation so I feel comfortable or am I going to have this conversation so that on the other end of it, we're aligned and committed to, you know, what's next? And that could include this person choosing to go in some other direction. It it could include all that. Of course, if I'm going to have this kind of conversation, I've got to be willing to consider the worst case scenario before I even get into it and then ask myself what's, see, and with that very process of, of the forensics of doing something like that actually relaxes the brain because you start to see you have more options than you imagined if you were willing to just look into it. You know, there's this old saying that goes, what you resist persists. And so if it's like riding the bike, right? I'm not going to hit that pole. I'm not going to hit that pole. But the bike goes where you look and you keep looking at the pole and pretty soon you hit the pole. (laughs) 
you know, that's why they say when you're, I do a lot of road biking, if you're riding on a cliff, don't look over the cliff because you naturally take the bike over the cliff. So, but I think in this case, you stare into the problem and you ride right into it. You don't look left or right. And, and you frame it in a way that invites people to communicate whatever they're experiencing. And I really think that the key is to name the issue, take one issue at a time, name that bugger clearly in a way that people can hear it, and, and give an example of it, like what we're up against. This is what we're up against. Here's the issue. And here's, then we could talk about, you know, how you feel about it. You could talk about what you're concerned about, and you can invite other people to contribute into that. And now you've got a dialogue. And the point is, the conversation is to see what you can organically surface that is going to be resourceful for everybody given the stated purpose. I think staying on that stated purpose and, and really inviting people, framing questions that put people shoulder to shoulder instead of head to head. That's right. Opens up a conversation that's worth having, really. That's right. What happens? What happens to a team or a group? This, I mean, this is applicable to a family. This is applicable to an organization. What happens to this group of people with a common goal or or a common objective when one leader tries to keep them, quote unquote, safe from the difficult conversations? Well, I think it's a it's not that leader's task to do that. Right. And so they don't have the power to do that. That's pretty inauthentic because I can't protect you from what I don't know is out there. And what's out there is probably bigger than me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Mel Brooks has a joke. He said, <laughs> how they discovered God. He says, you know, he's talking about the Jewish people. He says, they're in the desert. And for a while we worshiped Dave. Dave is this giant. And then he got struck by lightning. And we looked at each other and we said, there's something bigger than Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I think. You know, we're going to protect you. And then, bam, you, the, the guy who's going to protect you gets struck. And everybody looks at each other and goes, oh, shit, there's something bigger than the leader. Right? So why, why even take that? I think it's, I think it's inauthentic to, to say we're going to be okay if I don't know that we're going to be okay. Right. How can we stand together to support what we're committed to, to support each other, to have this be as resourceful as we can? What are we really about together? Those are all different questions than how can I save you or how can I protect you? Yeah. I know for me, when I'm in a situation and, and being led by somebody who's unwilling to let me into the process, uh, it disconnects me from the uh from the camaraderie of of a shared goal right it, it separates me it disconnects me or i choose to disconnect at that moment from the from the goal because i'm not valued enough to be let into what's actually going on well and and it robs the team of your set of eyes and creativity and resources to resolve the problem now, I, I'm not saying, you know, you really got to pick who you're going to include in a conversation. Sure. You got to really think through. Is, I, like, I don't want to have a conversation with people who aren't going to be responsible, or aren't sharing in what it's going to take to resolve it. I want to make sure the people that have to carry the load 
want to make sure they're involved. So really thinking about who ought to be in the conversation is crucial because otherwise you're going to get, you know, you get people in there that aren't at stake like everybody else, uh, which presents a whole other set of problems. You just, that can be very distracting. So knowing who to have in the meeting, knowing who to have in the conversation, family-wise, business-wise, church-wise, organization-wise, is that's the first thing, right? And and then framing the problem is a big deal because if you come in and go, oh, we're all screwed, it's going down, you know, what do you guys, it's all every man for himself, what do you think? <laughs> that frame is a little crazy. So. Yeah. Or, or apologizing for how hard it is. Yeah. Mm. yeah right? Sorry, guys, that are the, this, this or that. You know, I, I like it whenever, at least I, I'm thinking about other crises before this one. Um, and a lot of times it's, it's good to make the distinction between here's what we know, here's what we don't know. You know, because you want to get connected to the facts. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot that we don't know. And uh, it's good to this is it's good to not connect to what we're making up about a horrible future. <laughs> right. So it's good to get clear about what we don't know. We don't know how bad this is going to be. We don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know how long our runway is. We don't know when our store is going to open back up. We don't know. We don't, we don't know what our phone's going to ring. We don't know. <laughs> We don't, there's lots we don't know, guys. That's it. You know, it's like, and part of the purpose of the conversation is to speak about it in ways and then provoke listening in ways that we all can be connected to where we are in this moment in time. And we do know we're probably going to have to make some tough decisions. Right. So let's talk about how we can formulate and get the best information that we can, so we can, we can make a, a decision that's good for, you know, the organization, all of us, and yeah. some of us may be making sacrifices along the way, all yeah. of us. Well, the, the, big, the big theme that comes up for me is like this, is this idea uh, of trust, you know, and in times of crises, you know, people are, you know, grabbing the, naturally grabbing the closest life raft. They want some predictability. And what happens in these conversations is, well, what, what naturally happens is the team thinks in, in accordance to the previous agreements, meaning like how we've operated historically is, is where, the, is where this, the team begins, right? So yeah. this guy doesn't talk to this guy. I don't trust him fully. He's full of crap. She's the quiet one. All those, like the previous agreements are in the room. You got to re- orient the team to some new agreements if you're the leader to step in and then make new promises to them. Because if you go through, here's what we know and here's what we don't know, or you go through how hard things are, where things are right now, what the challenges are, what the potential decisions are, and then clearly let them know what they can expect of you. Um, you know, because probably they fear unilateral decisions from the top involving that involve them and involve their families. Um, and you know you might be in a place where you know uh, with a certain group of people that I'm meeting with, hey, I'm not going to make any of these de these decisions without you guys. That would be de dependent on who you're meeting with and what the team is. But here's here's what you can expect of me as we walk through this day by day. Here's what you can expect mm -hmm. of me. And that level of predictability, and that's essentially a promise, right, that you're making to them. Here's where I am. Here's what you can see me 
And here are the type of conversations I'm going to have. I'm going to have both conversations. I'm going to have one that's oriented around where things are really. And then you're going to hear where I'm headed next and where I think we ought to be headed next. You get to speak into both of those because I might not be seeing all the things that are happening and I don't know what's going on for you. And I want to hear that. And you might disagree with where we're headed. And I want to be open to that because there's some innovation that I'm probably not seeing based on my concerns. Now, what I hear you saying, Adrian, is that it's, it's, it's far more trust building to talk about the way you're going to be through the crisis yes. rather than the things you're going to do. Now, the, the actions are important and we have to take action. We have to do the things. But if I state to my team how I'm committed to show up through this, yeah. I can build trust in that crisis, even if the trust maybe wasn't there before, I can now step, this is an opportunity. We've been talking about what opportunities come from this, right? This is a new opportunity to step into a role of leadership and and state how you're going to be with your team rather than the things you're going to do. So they can can call you up to that, right? Because you gave them permission for that. If Adrian says to me, I'm going to be this way with you, I can say, hey, it doesn't seem like you're being with me like that right now. Then he gives him a chance to communicate how he thinks he is being that way or not, but right. I, right? I mean, he then can help me see he is being that way or he can correct and, and you know, you got it. Okay, what I'm not listening to you. I didn't hear what you said, obviously. Tell me again, um, I'm in some survival. I, I think part of this is the ability to share uh, your own process. Mm-hmm. I know for me, um, I've been through a number, I've had staffs, as many as 20 on a staff, and working through an issue, a very tough time, like a budget cut or co- cultural change or something occurs, it's always hard to, as a leader, if you're leading the team, to share your experience. To share. And there I am in my own ear. <laughs> so, um, do you know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I don't want to come across like I'm frantic, even though I might feel some franticness or some fear inside. But I, I, what I found myself saying oftentimes, was, I'd say, look, I'm just gathering information. I'm very nervous, just like you are. Yeah. I don't know where I land on this yet. Yeah. I really do need you to tell me what you see and what you think, because I'm trying to feel my way through it. I'm clear about where I want to go. I'm just not clear about how to get there. And I think, because that's, that I can say most of the time, most leaders who are doing something with a team know where they want to go. They're just not clear about how to get there in times of change like this. So why not authentically accept that, state it, and then like I'm gathering information. It gives me room to have my experience. Uh, it gives them room to have their experience to share it with me, and they could open my eyes up to things that I haven't seen. But you know, this is conceptually all very we can get this, we people can get this, but you know where it falls apart is if you're not self-accepting, <laughs> if you're on yourself a lot and a lot of great, very highly accomplished people are highly self-critical. And so they, we tend to drive ourselves, I can put myself into this domain, hard because we don't think we're enough at, at, you know, it's like, oh, there's more, there's more, right? And so mm-hmm. if somebody comes along and wants to give us feedback, like Adrian, you know, you said you're going to be like this. 
but you're not. Now, if I'm highly self-critical because I'm a performer, I, I like, I'm used to performing, that can sound really harsh to me because I'm already on my stuff. And so if I bark back at him, I'm now, I'm now undermining, I'm acting incongruent with what I stated in the first place, which is I need your thinking. Yeah. Right? So really, it's a great time for us to come to terms with ourselves. Yeah. Our, our desire to improve and make things turn out and, and our willingness to accept our own dark side, our own insufficiencies, our shortcomings and welcoming people into it. I, I, I got to tell you, Eileen and I were out because, you know, we went out to get to take some soup to my, my daughter and, and we had this soup in the back of the car and, and we were driving up and then my daughter called and said, no, it's cool. She got a fix because we're trying to make, you know, we don't leave the house. And so we drove back home and I'm, you know, I was going home and I made a stop and it sounded like the soup spilled. So Eileen gets out of the car and looks and goes, no, it's okay. We made it. And then I had to stop again quickly, make a turn and we heard it go again. And she goes, oh, I better go check it again. So she checks it and he goes, oh my God, it's all over. We're at home now. She goes, it's all over the back. It's just all over the back. There's potato here and da, da, da. So I'm imagining I'm going to have to take this down and do a spray it out. I'm thinking all these horrible things. I can see a whole coat of potato soup all over the back of my car. I get back and there's one dot here and one dot there, I, like like size of quarters. And I told she laughed so hard. And I go, honey, I just want to let you hear what you said to me. I, I was already inviting people to come over that I know could help me get somebody to help me spray it down. And I walk back and there's these two little stains. And she laughed so hard. I, she peed her pants. It was like that. It was because we just made fun of the situation. And I, I think creating that kind of relax because I wanted to go ballistic because I you know how you get all set up for something and then you really and I said honey this catastrophication you, you drive us crazy and then now we just make fun we make we have little things we say that kind of detonate that tension so we can come together and we can laugh at each other like I have my thing too she's got me on a bunch of little and you know, we can catch each other so but I mean if you don't have those kinds of ways to relax if you can't engage that then no matter how conceptually you get conceptually you get about how to communicate, you got to be aware of your own machinery. You got to go inside and connect with what happens for you and allow others to help you along with that. Otherwise you're going to prolong the, the difficulty, the pain. Yeah. Sense, you know? Yeah. Another thing that I'm noticing, and I think this, I think it goes along with this um, self-acceptance and also reality acceptance. Um, I, I'm seeing so much language, uh, both with my clients and online, about like when this is all over and uh, when things are back to normal. Uh -huh. And and I think it's so I think it's such an interesting thing to observe. It's almost this idea that I don't need to show up now mm, because things when things are back to normal, then I'll show up. Yeah. Then I'll communicate openly. And I'll be real with my team and I will work hard. And it's just, it's, I did some writing this morning around this and just saying like, there is no normal we're going back to. Yeah. Well, there never was any normal. Right. Either, either, either everything is normal or nothing is normal. Right. Meaning this is normal. This is life. It's like, 
It's like, Dan, when we're in the training room and you're training and people say, well, in here or in real life? <laughs> so, we're not alive in here? <laughs> wait, wait a second. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just, I, I think there's probably this fallacy, this nostalgia for this time when you didn't have to address these things and leaders are using this as, a, as an excuse to not step up and be with their team. Yeah. There's a, I, I hear it all the time. I, and we, we talk about like as patron, I, I think about all the time as like patronizing language, which usually comes out like this. Um, I would talk to him about that or talk to her about that, but she has blank going on. And, you know, and, and that's, this is a big blank going on, right? Corona is a big blank going on, right? There's a big, big thing. So, um, and I was thinking about the, you know, like kicking the can down the road, but we ought to write an article about kicking the courage down the road. Oh, that's good. <laughs> no, that's, that's good. Great. Cause no, we're not saying don't pick good timing. Yeah. So, okay, good. This is not the time right now. So when is the time and how would you frame it? And by when will you get it done? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we hear about this and yeah, I mean, there's lots of examples coming in, especially around relationships that pop up, but as if, you know, business relationships aren't just regular relationships anyway. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, when's a good time to tell somebody bad news? Well, just right now, right now is the good time. <laughs> well, you know, and you think about it, a lot of people run their families like that too. Oh yeah, man. And so things don't get vetted and then the pressure comes up and those things sabotage their ability to coalesce or or solidify or synergize with each other to have the best experience they possibly can of life yeah yeah men yeah. die at 27 we bury them at 72 is yeah. plastered on my wall yeah so i guess my thought with that is like you know th this this is where i mean i continue to talk about this is and you alluded to it Chad. like this is this is where there's an advantage in this situation like when it when shit's hitting the fan that's when you get all the shit out yeah because it's hitting the fan right the fan's already dirty go ahead and talk about it mm -hmm. and i mean that that can build trust it does i'll just say i'll i'll just declare it like it does it does build trust hey let's get out all the stuff that's rough right now well, you know, the word crisis in Greek, crisis means to judgment, right? Or revelation, actually. If in, in crisis, you see where people really are, their character, when it comes up in crisis, right? And it's in crisis that you can actually transform or develop your character. But it's actually the crisis reveals. And the bigger the crisis, the deeper the revelation about where I really am yep. and who I'm really, who I am for you right? That whole ethics, what I was talking about, my ethos starts to get revealed in very specific terms. And I can either choose to do something about it or not based on, you know, whatever I'm committed to. Am I going to be committed to you and the bigger picture? Or how much am I going to get caught up in my own survival and defense and like that? So, and I, I think that's part of what we're seeing. You know, you see people hoarding things and being rude to each other or hurting each other, you know, it says more, it's the crisis drawing that fear out of them, mm -hmm. but it was already there. Mm -hmm. And now, now what, what do you do with it? How do you reinvent? And that's, that's what we, I think, I know that's what I love doing. I love to get into that crisis with somebody and see if we can invent a new conversation in the midst of it. Like what a great possibility. 
yeah. it's exciting. Yeah. yeah, I know uh, a tendency for myself and other people that I've that I've I've uh, looked to as leaders. Uh, we look at talking about these crises or these hard conversations as like ripping off a Band-Aid, quote unquote, ripping off a Band-Aid. And to me, that what that looks like is I just got to talk about this one time, get it over with, and then move on sort of way of approaching this thing. Uh-huh. So I'm curious to have a conversation around how much do we talk about this thing? How How much does it become these maybe not the center but a a, a a significant ornament to the backdrop of everything we're doing um you know how how do we gauge when how and how much to talk about something especially this big that's affecting our company i mean that's a big question yeah <laughs> where do we that's a huge question yeah, I mean, let, let me break it down a little bit, I guess. The, the, um, I could see this conversation, um, somebody, a leader listening to this conversation and being willing to have that first initial conversation. Right. Getting up that courage to have that first initial conversation. And then now what? Well, yeah, the idea that one conversation is somehow going to handle it is fairly naive yeah. you know because it's a conversation we are conversation i mean the relationship is a conversation so it's not like you and i talk and then the next time we see each other we're in the same place we were because we're changing with the conversations we're in so i would expect to be vigor vigorous i'd, I'd want to be as adept at conversing as i would be at being able to look at a spreadsheet a balance sheet mm-hmm. because the balance sheet is a direct result of my ability to converse and they're connected. It's not like they're two different things, but my, the quality of my conversation produces the value in the organization that drives the bottom line. Right. I mean, so making those connections would probably be helpful and mm-hmm. in, in aligning the kinds of conversations I'm having when I have them. Yeah. Well, I, I, my, my thought about it is, like if I'm leading an organization, I might see my people's fear as a problem that needs to be solved. Like, let me just get past this, right? As if, I think to your point, Chad, it's like a one-time thing. Let me, let's get past this. Instead of realizing that, yeah, that's right. Instead of seeing their concerns, which is what they are. Fears are like concerns. At least underneath the fear are a bunch of concerns and we all have them and they're not going away. Um, but I, I would see them, I'd see people's fear as like knobs, right? So, so I can be a, uh, on one, I know it's like this for me, like on, on one, someday my fear is a zero, someday my fear is a 10 and it's, and it's like, it, it goes up and down. So it's not a problem to solve, but it's a tension to manage, right? So uh, how often to talk about it? Well, if you're willing to play this game and, and a lot of people won't, right? They just want to get past it, act like it's not happening. Yeah. Um, but if you want to play this game, which the game is, do I want to really be deeply connected to where people are because that is if i'm not connected to where they are it is foolish of me to, or naive of me to think that high performance will come out of a confused or contradicted person so if i'm committed then to get connected to them so that i know how to engage with them then 
how often do I talk about it? Whenever it's needed is how often I talked about it, right? Like I'm going to pay attention. Like when I'm talking to Bob and, and we're talking about something, but he seems distracted, I ought to stop and say, Bob, you seem distracted, man. How are you? Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that takes a level of presence and a, and a certain type of listening that gets beyond my own judgments because I want Bob to be connected and I want Bob to be present and he's not and I can judge him or I can engage with him. And that takes some faith that if I open up this conversation that I don't have control over, I don't have control over Bob's emotions or his tensions in his life or how his wife is doing or how his kids are doing. I don't have any control over that except for right. I, I can be an opening so Bob can talk about it in a way that Bob can, can orient himself to it so that he can also be here, right? Because that's what we're all doing now. Levels of concern have gone up everywhere in life. I know as a, I've got kids and schedules are all over the place now, routines are shifted and just my concerns are higher than normal. And I think everybody's concerns are higher than normal. We don't know what to do, right? So, but the orientation of those concerns is the leader's job to create the, the culture around how we orient to the concerns of the day. And, you know, so we're, if you, if you want to be present with your people, if you want your, if you want your organization to move forward, then helping them decide that for themselves that, Hey, we're going to have higher levels of concerns and that's okay. But, and we'll need to talk about that. And you'll need to let me know when you need to talk about that because you know, because that's back to the patronizing idea is like, it's not my job to manage Bob's concerns. My job is to help Bob manage Bob's concerns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, those concerns might come up just unbeknownst. Like for instance, if you're in an industry that's, greatly enhanced because of this crisis yeah. it's a very different conversation than if you're in a business that is looking at complete destruction i mean my father's in the movie business right and so you can imagine the guy there might come in the you know before the crisis he's excited because he wants to be in the movie business he wants to become a movie theater owner or he wants to be a producer or whatever and he gets involved and he realizes wow maybe movie theaters aren't going to be like they used to be or maybe you know what's the future of the business now he's a different person because he's in he's reconsidering his concerns about what how this could help him and whatever he's up to and just being able to catch that those are the conversations i think that most leaders want to shy away from because they feel like they're a waste of time but they're really great learning conversations because if i'm talking to you or you're talking to me adrian like you just said and you're helping me think through something and chad's listening or four other people are listening in a meeting you're orienting them as well as to a thinking, a framework that can hold the team together or help the team individually get clear about how they want to contribute or not. Because with the crisis, it's a new game and we don't know what the rules are yet. We don't know what the playing field looks like. That's right. So it, it's going to be dynamic for a while until we can figure out what we're dealing with. Because this could be you know, look, the industri I, to me, this is like the end, like, like a stake in the heart of the industrial revolution thinking, that mindset that's widget, moving widgets down a product line. And now it, it, this is a time when, when dynamic individuals are needed to come to the table. And it's a whole new world, right? It's a, it's a brave new world. And so how will that look? And you know, that always goes better in my experience historically when individuals take responsibility for where they're at and, and then own that task 
to produce what they're committed to and then offer that to the conversation. Yeah. Well, and, you know, part of being courageous is to, is to put language out there. This, that, that might sound weird to people. Um, I might not know what I mean. Is, yeah. I mean what every, kind of language? <laughs> yeah, right. So, <laughs> well, and, and it's in part maybe just a, a tad bit of framework is that, you know, we're all having experience and it helps, it helps me to put language to my experience. As soon as, for me, I, I call it putting handles on something. Like if I've got this thing happening for me internally, if I can express it and, and put, that's me putting handles on it, then I can move it around, right? Because if I'm anxious and don't know that I'm anxious, then I think I am that anxiety. Yeah. If I can name it as anxious, then it's a mood I'm in. Then I can, I, okay, I'm anxious. What am I anxious about? Oh, oh nothing. Yeah. You know, then the I, limb, that's what happens, the limbic system in the brain, so yeah. right in the middle of the brain, it produces these movies, pictures. And we're looking for language for the picture that's driving the mood. Yeah. And the minute we can get language on that, the amygdala settles down because we right. know what we're facing, even if what we're facing is extremely dangerous. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, part of my point is like part of leading well right now is to let people know that's also the game that's at play because you don't, I mean, their franticness that they're experiencing brought into the context of advancing the business is not probably going to be an asset. Right. So they, you need to let them I mean it, a great a, a, a team of six people talking, if six people are, are connected to their own experience and managing their own experience and then being present beyond that, right? Because that's what we're calling them into. We're calling them into vision beyond their personal experience. Yeah. That's why peop, some people raise up during crisis, some people shut down, and like the crisis becomes them. They are the crisis instead of being greater than the crisis. Which is that's a folk, but that's an intention and a focus conversation, because we all have the experience of being in a crisis, and then those that are heroic will step beyond that. Yeah. Right? So, but you got to know what the crisis is that is already inside of us. And what most people, I don't think, I don't know if we realize, or I, I often don't realize that to get to that place, I have to first experience the overwhelm or fear that I have. Yeah. It's when I experience it and see it and I, I observe it, I create that space and now I have the ability to take it with me. It's not like it go, goes away. It's just that it takes its right place yeah. with, in, in relationship to where I want to go, what I'm really about. Right. And that, there's that split second where, you know, which way am I going to go on this? Am I going to go to reactive or am I going to contain it and push beyond it, right? Look beyond it. Take yeah. it with me. This yeah. is this is so great, Dan. This reminds me of a story that you tell often, mostly in the training room, but you might want to share a little bit here. But I just there there is a there is some potential for an underlying intention in all of this, in this conversation, right? There is on the surface your intention as a leader to have this going back to the one and done conversation, your intention might be. Your, your surface intention is, hey, let me connect with these people. Let me tell them what's really going on. The underlying intention might be that you're just trying to relieve the pressure for yourself. Oh, and you're going to find and, out. Yeah. And what's going to happen is when people want to continue the conversation and continue to connect, you're going to find yourself contentious about that. Or it'll show up a number of ways, but the story you you share, Dan, 
is when you came clean to Eileen on a few things early on in your relationship and your marriage and you came clean to her and then when she wanted to ask some questions about that yeah you got defensive and you got all flushed and and boiled up because you're under you talk well you could tell it better than I, I did but. I mean when I was a young man I was a womanizer and for the first 10 years of my life with Eileen five years we dated five years married every year in September I'd go out and have a fling for nine years I don't even know I, I there's some hindsight on it. I've got a lot of revelation but I came to her one time and, and I, re, I realized how dishonest and just what it was doing to her my relationship to her and feeling a fraud and I think this is 30 something years ago, 35 years ago, I came and confessed. I, I realized that if I didn't get clean with her, that we weren't going to make it. It just became clear to me one night. And I had had a faith experience at the time and I was just starting to get sober about who I am and that I'm not an exception to the gravity of life, right? That if I keep sowing this, I'm going to eat a future. This is setting up and I really realized it. So I came to her and I confessed. And the first thing she did, of course, is want to know who and like, you know, she just started a litany of questions that anybody would want to know. And um, I got all contemptuous because she was, the questions were causing me to look at me in a way I didn't want to see me. And so I got contemptuous and got up and I'm just going to storm out of the room. Like, how dare you? You're using this against me, blah, blah, blah. And as I turned to walk out, she says, so are you using me one more time again? And that was it. I, I just, I stopped. I'll never forget because it hit me right in the center of the chest. She, that was exactly what I was doing. And I wasn't even aware of it. It was, it wasn't like I was oh now I'm going to use Eileen. I was just automatically doing what I'd always done to Eileen. And I realized this is just one more layer, one more conversation in the relationship that makes it, that sabotages it, that, undermines the future I want to have with her. So I just turned around and said, you know, I, I just, she said it was amazing. I turned around, my face was softened. I was starting to weep. And I said, you're right. This is really the issue. And I just sat down and I realized when I, she walked me through it, that I just didn't want to see myself the way I was. I didn't, I, you know, the way I'd been up until that moment. And I realized very interestingly enough in the debrief of that over the months and years of debrief, it just kept wearing on me. Why September? Why September? Like, why did I do that every year for nine years in September? And it occurred to me that in September, when I was a young boy, I was about 12 or 13, my mother went to the hospital for the first time in September. And it was a major crisis that I said to myself, I remember thinking, women can't be trusted. I couldn't, you know, I didn't know who my mother was going to be. And she's going through psychological issues. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I made the connections. This is a way for me to stay safe, to assure myself that if Eileen didn't want to be with me, like, I, I mean, it was all going on in the background, just all connected, right? And it was, when I had that revelation, it was really all my desires for that kind of thing is gone, disappeared. So, I, you know, I, to me, I, I've had deep experience of kind of these kinds of conversations in my relationship with my wife and in business relationships where I've blown it. And then, you know, sometimes you get a partner that's willing to work through it with you, but sometimes when you blow it, you hurt people so badly they leave. And I've done that, right? You, you say things they don't want to get over and I, you know, can't take back.
So yeah, in that story, I hear every time you tell it, I hear that you were using Eileen as a tool to get what you wanted out of the relationship to like relieve your own pressure. And I think there is a possibility or a temptation for leaders to use their team in this conversation to relieve a little bit of their own pressure, um, but aren't willing to hang in. And don't trust the tools to be faithful if they're not tools. That's right. And then they'll be more faithful, but it is a different, it's a different route. But think about it. If you're going to spend 40% of your life with people working together on a team, how do you want to have that be? I want that to be as powerful as a family because it is. Yeah. yeah. That's where, I mean, for me, I think that's where the, the opportunity lies in this is that all, I mean, if we think about it in a team context, like a lot of people's history, I mean, people's we always bring our history with us. So a lot of the unhad conversations I have or distrust I have um, with certain people on the team, it's very present in the current conversations. And I can think it's about COVID, but it's actually about all that. And this is a beautiful opportunity to have those conversations, to get to, and you can, you know, you can have a calm demeanor with it and just state it as is. Like, hey, we've never quite gotten along, have we? Or I don't, we don't like each other very much, you know, or whatever's there. Um, but I, you know, and it's a way to like deal with that, that all those things that have been there for a while in a way to say, Hey, but I want, can we, what is it going to take for us to work together during this time? Yeah. It's a big yeah. deal. It's a big deal. We talk about this being a, you know, a point of connection we have. In, in the last couple conversations that we had, this, this crisis being a point of connection, I think, Adrian, what you just explained is like really a practical way to take that idea of being a connection and apply it. This really is a time, it's a great excuse to claim what is and then how you want to be going forward. Yeah. Um, and it's, that it's just that it's just a circumstance. It's another circumstance. And there's been a million circumstances that have gone past that you've missed as a leader to connect with your team. Now this one's really in your face. Yeah. This one's really here. And you're either going to, it's either going to have you or you're going to have it. Yeah. It's either going to make, you're either going to make it into something or it's going to make you into something that you probably aren't going to like. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's a decent exercise, I think, always. I know it is for me, is to slow down and, and, and get clear about what am I tolerating? Is there anything I'm tolerating on my team? Is there anything I'm tolerating within myself? Any conversations I'm not having? And just, I literally make a list out of those things. Like, what am I not, what have I up until now not been willing to deal with? And what, even what emotions are connected to those things? Like, why have I been avoiding it? It'd be good for me to, like, account for why I've not been having those conversations and, you know, and then think about what's possible if I do, or what am I scared of? If I don't, what's possible if I do, and then be able to embrace some of those conversations because it is, it is, it might be true to say that, you know, our bandwidth, at least in a default setting is tighter now. Like we can't deal with all the extra noise um, that's undealt with, you know, because now if I don't, if there's extra noise, that I don't want to deal with with my team, 
it, um, that orientation to the noise, like I don't want to deal with it, meaning like that decision about it, um, then that's going to be really loud in the room. And we probably don't have, can't waste that much energy not having those conversations. Can't afford it. Can't afford it. That's right. I ask myself, what am I complaining about? And what am I holding against you? Right? What am I using against you? What am I using on you in my head? Yep. What am I talking about the noise, Adrian? What are you talking about? Oh, I mean, noise like, um, I'm trying to think of something practical for people. Uh, let's say that I've got a salesperson that's not been hitting their numbers and I've been, you know, not dealing with the root issues there. And all and and all have been and I've been dealing with this person's complaint about the circumstances about why they haven't been hitting the numbers. And then all of a sudden, during this crisis, the opportunities to complain are twice as big, right? Because we got more circumstances to complain about. But really, what's there is is this guy, Bob. I keep calling saying Bob. Bob hasn't been overcoming circumstances before, and now he's way under. He's buried by them, and he's going to now use COVID to. Uh, avoid taking responsibility, but I'm there in a meeting talking about the future and talking about sales. And all I all I can think about is Bob's not going to deliver. He hasn't been delivering for the last five years, and I haven't been talking about it. Why haven't Why haven't I been talking about it? No, it's his fault. It's my fault. It's the situation's fault. Da, 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 da. Well, that's all the the noise, right? It's like the you know I'm in a conversation, but I'm in the 25 other ones, and those are even louder than the one I'm in. And that's why you don't. They're the ones that justify why you keep putting off what's wanted and needed. That's right. And I mean, usually it'll serve the other person to have the conversation that, I mean. Well, I mean, you just described indifference in a beautiful, very phenomenological way. I mean, you're in those conversations, so you're indifferent to what's wanted and needed right there. That's right. And, and so there's no life because it's just dead because all your life's wrapped up in maintaining the offense or complaint or whatever the noise is. And so it disconnects you from the ability to derive what's really going on with other people around you. You're yeah. just validating that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is why it's really cruel not to invite somebody else into an honest conversation. Mm. Right. It's like because if I know Bob hasn't hit his numbers for the last three quarters and he's going to tank now, it's it's actually the most caring thing to do is to talk with Bob about what's coming. And I can own how unfaithful I've been to Bob, how right. condescending or, you know, just just not, I've just not been human to him. So I've contributed. I mean, if a guy's gone that long and you yeah. have an intervent, no intervention, now you're going to pile it on here. You better own what your part is, otherwise you'll probably lose connection or any possibility of reclaiming his performance. Well, and how inauthentic. You're probably going to fire Bob. You've already fired him in your head, and now you're going to wait this thing out and then fire him. And um, that's just inauthentic, right? That's coming back again. I mean, anything we're inauthentic about is coming back. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's my point is like it's really it's caring for somebody to, to help them talk about reality in a way that works. Yeah. It gives them power. It gives them, you know, it's, it's, it's honoring to give them agency. Well, I mean, just helping people recognize where they're at. If you can help me understand where I'm at or just connect with where I'm at, yeah. 
your credibility goes through the roof with me. I feel connected to you. I want to hear more of what you have to say. I'm yeah. a no. Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked, about, we've talked about this guy before. I mean, we like a lot of the guy Chris Voss's work. If you haven't read Chris Voss's work, um, his book, Never Split the Difference, his blog, um, Black Swan Group. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's great at, he calls it labeling or tactical empathy. Is yeah. like label what somebody else is going through. It's tactical in the sense of if you can put language to somebody else's experience, even their fears, their concerns, you put language to it for them, they come to the table. They yeah. feel like you hear them, they feel like you understand them, and it's and it it, it helps you deal with the obstacle first. Yeah. And he he go he I love what he talks about, which I think every great marketing or salespeople salespeople get, which is you want to hear no. You actually want to hear it. No means, if you can hear no, you're giving that person permission to be wherever they're at. Like you're, they, it creates trust. But most of us are so res resistant to no, it produces distrust because the person can't say no. Right. Somehow they, if they say no, it lets you down instead of opens up the possibility to learn more about where that person is and what's wanted and needed. Yeah. yeah. And gentlemen, we're moving. So my movers are here and I'm going to have to jump. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. No problem. Talking about current reality. It's happening. Yeah. This, is, oh. <laughs> this has been, this has been fantastic. The one last thing that I wanted to talk about, we don't have to talk about, but just an invitation is to leaders is to um, realize you don't have to lead through this entire thing. Allow those who are on your team to also lead that lateral leadership let them lead the conversation. Tell, let them tell you what's needed for them in the conversation. Yeah. You know, don't, don't think you need to take this on like a hero. Um, this, this, can be, this can be a mutual leading opportunity. Yeah. Which it always is, by the way. I think we just, right. it's an illusion to think that I'm always leading. It's, it's really when teams work best, we switch off leadership as needed. You know, people take the lead where they can make the biggest difference and I'm ready to follow, right? That kind of all right, gentlemen. Awesome. Good to be with you guys. Great to be with you. Love you guys. Yeah, hope this is helpful. Thank Ciao. You. Well, my friends, another big thank you for joining us this week on the Naked Leadership Podcast. If this podcast has helped you at all or entertained you, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. This helps us reach more people. Also, the greatest compliment you can give us is sharing this podcast with the leaders in your life, those who are looking for a new way to relate to their teams. Can't wait to be with you next week on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Bye-bye, everybody.